electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Kramer's at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco. David Faber at HQ. Coming off a of Monday snapback, S&P now once again within 1% of all-time highs. 10-year yield just north of 4 on a light day for data. Our roadmap begins with stocks, as we said. S&P within striking distance of a new record. Coming off the best trading day since November. Plus, NVIDIA shares hitting a new all-time high. And it is the outlier of the magnificent seven stocks this morning, pointing to further gains at the open. Boeing shares, though, they continue to slide a bit. This as more loose parts are found on Max 9 Jets. Guys, let's begin with the markets after yesterday's rebound, Jim. Uh, specifically, the rebound in tech. A lot of dis- discussion today about uh, the renewed enthusiasm for AI, CES, uh, semis, crypto, and the like. Well, it looks like it was kind of a Pincer move. They came in both with healthcare uh, right out here and talked about all the work they're doing uh, for really, I guess, for discovering new drugs uh, uh, and also for making a better colonoscopy. I know not necessarily something that we want, but yes, we have to have. And then CES, it's very clear that they have uh, the next generation that is ready for PCs. People didn't expect that PCs would be back. David, the democracy, the democratization of tech that NVIDIA is offering now, it's not just the enterprise, it's individuals. Very exciting for people. You know, Jim, when it comes to NVIDIA as well, there's no shortage of other questions and or rumors and things of that nature. So let me throw one your way, which is, would they ever consider setting up their own cloud infrastructure to compete with the likes of Amazon or Microsoft? Obviously, incredibly important customers for them. But given they make all the chips that everybody wants, is that something that's been discussed? Uh, no, uh, because Jensen Wong and some personal discussions I've had with him uh, has fantastic relationships with, with uh, Mark Zuckerberg, with Amazon. Uh, what he speaks of when he talks about them is, look, they're making they're trying to make their own chips, but they are fantastic partners. That would surprise me uh, because Jensen Wong is someone who comes in pieces, he says, and is not about to upset the apple cart. Interesting. Yeah. I, again, just something sort of the, out in the marketplace and in no way, shape or form am I indicating that I think it's it's true, Jim. But those are the kind of things that are, you know, are discussed because how many well, of these businesses get into each other's business in some way becomes sort of a question. Well, look, when, when he uh, spoke, it, uh, really, there was an amazing discussion he had when he went to Snowflake uh, and he discussed about how even though Snowflake thought about perhaps there was another way to be able to uh, get net, you know, really to get NVIDIA's chips down in price. One of the things that Jensen said is, look, we've spent years doing this. We are not about to just give in. And uh, what it was like was he defended his turf. But he also said everybody else is pretty happy with what they can get, except for the Chinese. And the Chinese obviously are uh, upset that they can't get the latest and greatest. 
Uh, meantime, Jim, Oppenheimer, uh, NVIDIA top pick. Uh, they do say that the semi-space history suggests the group should be up 11% this year following the initial inflection last year. Edyard Denny uh, with a note last night looking at the forward PE of NVIDIA, which has actually come down from the mid-80s uh, to the mid-20s as he argues the street has come around to what his, has been his longstanding productivity thesis. Well, when I first uh, met the people in NVIDIA, I thought the stock was selling at 80 times earnings. It turned out to be selling at 16 times earnings because mm-hmm. they had so much in the pipe. This, do you know that NVIDIA is the buzz out here at J.P. Morgan? All people can talk about is they were never able to come up with genetic uh, computations that would be quick enough. It might take months and months to be able to figure out what might be good. And now it's seconds. Just seconds. So everybody is so excited. The NVIDIA presentation yesterday jammed as people realize that it is really a healthcare company. We also thought, of course, it's a gaming company. And one of the reasons why I think, David, you raise a very good point that NVIDIA is everywhere. Why can't NVIDIA be a more powerful company? And I would say Jensen Wong would say the reason why we're at a trillion dollars is because we are great partners with everyone, whether it be uh, the PC makers or whether it be the healthcare companies. NVIDIA is so exciting, David, and people just don't understand. This was all the brainchild of Jensen, who said, if you move things fast enough, then you're going to be bigger than the iPhone, bigger than the Internet, uh, bigger than when uh, the PC was first invented. You know, a lot of people here think he's right, David. They're thinking that he's just creating an all-new way to do computations. Well, we're at the very beginning of what's going to be an immensely interesting year when it comes to advances that are made in terms of large language models and artificial intelligence overall and potentially applications in healthcare. I mean, Jim, I had a a chance to listen to your interview last night with the Roche CEO. Now, I don't know if she did the best job in answering your question. You were kind of trying to lead her there in terms of how are you using artificial intelligence to help you create, I think it was vaccines, isn't that right? Yeah, well, I mean, what what everyone's trying to do with artificial intelligence is just speed up the process. Uh, I'm glad you liked the Roche interview. I did not, uh, I did not see it coming. I did not know what a power Roche really is in, in tech, but they are a, a dominant cancer franchise too. And again, you have to compute very quickly to be able to take the data and make something with it. Uh, I did not know that it's blink of the eye. Uh, it is data would be taking months with your hundred smartest people and get nowhere uh, because they just can't do it fast enough versus NVIDIA doing it in seconds. So uh, that's the way you're going to develop drugs. And I, I was just so impressed. Carl, NVIDIA is revolutionizing everyone. I am sure that what, you know, gaming, which is what Jensen was really uh, most excited about, that all the stuff in gaming is all them. Yeah. They were ready for this. They did not understand why people... I mean, I remember when NVIDIA, when I named my dog NVIDIA, and he was like, please, that's great. Tell the story. No one seems to be interested. <laughs> well, they're interested now. Uh, yes, indeed. As the Goldman Desk uh, said this morning about yesterday, uh, more than a million call options traded NVIDIA on the day, one of the largest options volume days of the last year. Uh, we'll talk more about it, of course, uh, through the course of the hour. Uh, let's get to the grounding, though, of those 171 Boeing jets following the Alaska Air blowout incident. United now and Alaska say they have found loose parts on 737 MAX 9 aircraft, and our Phil LeBeau uh, has all the latest, having watched the story even into the wee hours of last night. Morning, Phil. Yeah, we got the NTSB updates, what, about uh, 11 o'clock Central Time, 10 o'clock Central Time uh, from out in Portland. By the way, that's the last one that the NTSB will do 
out there. They are now going to shift their investigation back to their labs as they try to analyze exactly what happened on that flight Friday night. As you mentioned, both United and Alaska have reported during their initial inspections of the grounded 737 MAX 9s that they have in their fleet, they have found loose parts when they started going in and looking at those door plugs on those planes. So it raises the question, when will these planes be approved to go back into service after inspections? Or will the FAA hold off a little bit and say, "Uh, okay, maybe we wait a little bit longer until we're a little bit more sure that this is the right approach. The Boeing safety meeting, that happens this afternoon in Renton, Washington, where they build the MAX. As I mentioned, the NTSB investigation, which has been focused in Portland, which is where the Alaska Airlines MAX 9 returned after it took off, after the door plug was ripped from the plane, they found that plug. The initial take last night is the... Uh, attachments on the plug, and I know this is sounding very generic, they clearly did not function as they were supposed to. Was it because there were loose bolts? Was it because they were uh, attached incorrectly? They don't know, and they won't know probably for weeks, if not months. So explaining exactly why that plug came off is going to take some time for the NTSB to figure out. Meanwhile, there's going to be a lot of attention today in Renton, Washington. That's where Boeing builds the 737 MAX, and at The facility in Renton today, CEO Dave Calhoun, will be holding an all-employee town hall safety meeting. He'll be there with the head of Boeing Commercial Airplanes, Boeing's uh, chief uh, operating officer, Stephanie Pope, who just moved into that job. And essentially, this is Calhoun and the leadership of Boeing saying, we have to do better. What can we do in order to do better? That this is going to be a primary focus. We've heard this before from Calhoun and his team. That safety and quality is job one. As you take a look at shares of Boeing as well as shares of Spirit Aerospace, the bottom line is this, Jim. The question now becomes, separate from the NTSB investigation, and it may take weeks or months until we know the cause of what happened Friday night, how does Boeing reassure and how do airlines reassure passengers the aircraft that they are building are as safe as possible? Well, Phil, let's talk about the timeline here. Where was Boeing in saying, listen, we got to take your uh, planes out of service versus the FAA saying you guys have to take your planes out of service? Well, that's not Boeing's job to say take it out of service. That, that is the but FAA's job to do that. maybe this was when they should have. Jim, I mean, you're right. asking me, should Boeing, have, should Boeing have called up United, Alaska, and the six other airlines and said, look, Uh, something went wrong here, shut these down right away. They were in the mode of gathering facts. I'm not defending them, but what I'm saying is that's the job of the FAA. They do work in consultation with Boeing as well as the airlines. The only reason I said is because all morning on Squawk, there are people calling for the head of David Calhoun. And I'm trying to figure out what he could have done better in this particular case. And I, I find that, well, you know what? Maybe anybody who ran Boeing would have the same problems, or is Calhoun's leadership in real question? Well, that brings up the question, is this a systemic issue in terms of quality control at Boeing? Because when you look at the MAX, and Jim, it's not just this incident, holes were drilled incorrectly, and they need to be, uh, you know, shut down the the deliveries until they uh, analyze it. That's an example of, I think, a couple of months ago. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole list of all the issues, 
But you and I, Jim, have talked that many times when something has come up with regard to the Max. Uh, and there have been some issues with the Dreamliner, but not to the extent uh, that there have been with the Max, right. which always raises the question, can Boeing fix the culture there? There seems to be this perception that the quality and the quality controls have just not been in place. And some of that, many people say, extends back to Spirit Aerosystems. But beyond that, at the end of the day, Boeing is the company that assembles these aircraft. So Boeing ultimately is it's responsible for the aircraft that go out there. Phil, one last thing uh, that was interesting in that briefing was the uh, bit about the pilot uh, of the Alaska flight and just how cool she remained uh, three miles in the air. Oh, yeah. Carl, we see this all the time. I go back to the Southwest Airlines where the passenger was partially sucked out the window when there was an uncontained engine failure and they brought the passenger in. The passenger ultimately passed away. If you listen to those tapes, just like if you listen to the uh, Alaska Airlines tapes, these pilots do exactly what you want in an emergency. They are calm, cool, and collected. That's why you have a crew in the front. I bring this up every time because people say, well, someday we're going to have autonomous flight vehicles, whether it's EVTOLs or aircraft. They'll fly us somewhere. Not going to happen in our lifetimes, Carl. Not going to happen in our lifetimes. I don't think people would want to get on a plane unless they knew there's a crew in the front, uh, and that's what they're there for. Uh, Phil, we'll rely on you once again today as we await further details on, on the inspections. That's our Phil LeBeau on Boeing. When we come back, you'll hear what CEOs of the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference told Jim about weight loss drugs. And, of course, he will have a live interview with Lily's David Ricks coming up in the next hour. Take a look at the pre-market, giving some of yesterday back. We'll get to Samsung, Microchip, Match, and some calls on the banks, Paramount, Netflix, PayPal, and more when we return. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Four billion people are likely to be obese by 2025. That is a massive market opportunity. I think most analysts peg the obesity market as somewhere around 100 billion. So for sure, there will be many opportunities for many players to be in this market. That's Roche CEO Teresa Graham with Jim on Mad Money last night at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference talking about the burgeoning weight loss drug market. Jim, what do you think you learned about it yesterday? Uh, if you don't have one of these drugs, People think that you're just clueless about the next big move. 
because obesity uh, is epidemic, diabetes epidemic. So, I mean, there are so the, the rush to get one out, uh, of course, is to compete against Eli Lilly and compete against Novo Nordisk. What I thought was interesting about Roche, I mean, these guys believe that they have the best GLP-1 formulation. Now, the best means that perhaps uh, when they bought Carmut, you might be able to see something that is uh, less invasive, something that lasts longer, something that uh, doesn't reduce muscle mass. David, people are saying as big as Eli Lilly is, uh, there could be a giant market for all sorts of different weight loss drugs. But you know what, David? It's not going to be easy. And right now, Lilly's and well, no, less Nova Nordisk, they don't, have the, they don't have the capacity. Lilly owns this. And that's why we have David Ricks on today. Yeah. Right when he speaks in real time. Right. I mean, we obviously spent a lot of time talking about Lilly last week and these drugs, given and remember, of course, the impact they were having on so many other companies uh, in terms of whether or not they really would restrict sales in certain areas. And that still con- uh, continues to be a question, Jim. Um, uh, oral dosage at some point down the road, I assume. Could that redefine the category to some extent for others? To your point, yeah, I think Lily's uh, Majoro is the most effective, right? If I recall, reduces weight as much as, what, 22.5% right. uh, or something along those lines. Exactly. Um, I mean, could you go even higher than that if you're a competing drug? Is that possible? Or, you know? well, probably, only with, uh, probably only with bariatric, which, of course, is invasive, and that's surgery. David, uh, the Amgen is trying with a longer-acting one-month one shot, not a uh, 52-week shot. Uh, Amgen working on a pill, others working on a pill, having a very hard time develop the pill, as we know from Pfizer, we'll speak to later today. But what matters is J.P. Morgan put out, Michael Semble's put out this piece, which really makes it so that it's very clear that people will eat far fewer snacks. Families will use far fewer snacks. You know, you know, Carl, it is a wholesale change in what we do uh, and what we eat in the country. And it's very threatening to a lot of different industries. Uh, it was important to note uh, the IBB, Jim, uh, 52-week high yesterday. So the street's starting to come around to some of this knowledge. And, of course, Amgen also gave you a, a look at the market as well. Take a listen. You also have a, uh, a franchise that many people are talking about, which is your obesity franchise. We're going to have some very interesting readouts later this year. Well, we just rapidly enrolled a phase two trial uh, for our lead product, Maritide. Uh, and there's a great deal of enthusiasm for that because it looks like it may be differentiated versus the molecules that are a little bit ahead of us uh, in the marketplace. Differentiated in terms of dosing schedule. So it's a, we're looking at a monthly uh, uh, therapy as opposed to a uh, therapy that has to be used more often. And at least in the early clinical data, it looked to be very impressive as to the rate and magnitude of weight loss as well. Jim, if that weren't a full, a full enough picture, then you had Walgreens telling you about the reimbursement model. Yeah, well, look, I think that one of the things that's important, and Tim Wentworth from Walgreens uh, pointed this out, uh, you don't want this to be expensive. Uh, you have to, you'd like to have it paid by Medicare. Right now, they can't do it. Uh, they're just by law. But I think, you know, Carl, everyone is worried about how people might drop out. Uh, people don't obviously like to have a shot once a week. Uh, there are people who just think they've lost too much muscle mass. I'm going to speak to Regeneron today where they think they have something that only affects fat, not muscle mass. So we are at the early innings. Right now, you could lose of the let's say you lose 25, 22 percent of your uh, weight. A huge percent of that is muscle. And if you're older, that is yep. not good news. 
Yeah, that's a, that, that continues to be a real question, I think, Jim. And one reason why you may not see it used as quite as often in, the, in an elderly population, given, uh, given yeah, their I, need in particular for muscle mass. By the way, it's just funny listening look, to Roche I mean, and thinking... But not of, vanity. Uh, no, not vanity. And thinking of Genentech, of course, and then Amgen. I mean, these were the two. Remember back 30-plus years ago when these, these were biotechnology? That was it. Amgen and Genentech. Um, I would point out, by the way, Jim, it's funny seeing Bradway. He's been a CEO for a long time. Amgen's market cap, the same as Pfizer's. Identical. Right, but one's uh, going up and one is going down. And the latter, well, Dr. Borla would have to admit, is going down. Yeah. Uh, Jim, a lot more, of course, uh, from you on your second day at the conference. When we return, we'll get Kramer's Mad Dash. We'll count down to the opening bell, take another look here at the pre-market. We'll get to some news in the airlines, the semis, software for sure, and then we'll put into some context the Fed commentary we got yesterday when we return. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. For a uh, cross-country mad dash as we count down to an opening bell less than three minutes from now. I want to talk a little Netflix. I know there was that uh, downgrade over at uh, City, Jim. David, total heresy. You're not supposed to downgrade Netflix. This, this is out of line by Jason Bassinet. I mean, he's talking about cost being too high, revenue estimates maybe a tad too high. And, David, he is saying there might be potential M&A. You're not allowed to downgrade Netflix. Where does he get off doing this? <laughs> he does seem to indicate he thinks that there's just a lot of lofty expectations out there in terms of uh, both uh, revenue growth, Uh, free cash flow generation, and he thinks their content costs are going to be a bit higher than others estimate, which seems to be around $18 billion for 25. He's coming in at roughly $20 billion in content costs for 25. Well, David, this is uh, the reason why I regard it as heresy is this was in the original fact. Uh, this was the end. And one of the reasons it was is that this thing was, went from $100 billion to $200 billion out of nowhere uh, versus, say, Disney, which seems to be burdened by other things and that Disney is often compared to these guys. I don't know. I, how do you feel about that? I mean, it, it, there are aspects of Disney that simply uh, are not as exciting as Netflix. And maybe that's because Disney Plus is very difficult to try to figure out how much it can make, whereas Netflix obviously makes a lot of money. Right. Well, I mean, to get back to, to the overall, uh, Netflix is number one. Netflix is unchallenged. The question now is who's going to be number two when it comes to direct-to-consumer, Jim. And the fight is on between Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery, for example, and then a number of other players who are out there as well. But that really continues to be the key question because whoever's number two, at least, would have the hopes of making some money in this business. Warner Brothers Discovery is making ever so slightly some money. Paramount is not. Disney is not yet. Our parent company is not. And so that's the question. Whether or not there are perhaps too lofty expectations for what is clearly the number one player remains a question, I think, Jim. And you're seeing a little bit of a response in the marketplace. But there's no doubt as to who the leader is. Yeah, but Netflix is the one that you're going to keep. That's the one that is the water cooler one. It is the one that people talk about their newest program. I still don't find that happening to the other guys. Although David Zasloff uh, at Warner Brothers is doing a TikTok uh, and, and uh, let's say, a, a cutting floor extravaganza for Soprano. 
Who knew they had it? <clears throat> Guys, let's get the opening bells in the CNBC real-time exchange of the big board today. It is Fiserv celebrating the launch of the Fiserv Small Business Index. We're going to talk with the CEO, Frank Bensignano, in about an hour. At the NASDAQ, it's uh, Ponce Financial Group, a housing lender in New York City. Uh, speaking of small business, Jim, NFIB, we don't always get to it every month, but five-month high on some decreased pessimism on sales, earnings, economic trends. It is the backbone of the U.S. economy. There seems to be no end to it. By the way, no end to how much money Frank Bisignano has made. What a fantastic interview. And here's the pulse of small business. Uh, here's the pulse of America, like very few executives. And what he touches is gold. I like his stock because he is the head of it. Uh, Jim, obviously, M&A has been a huge story where you are. I think of his $6.5 billion in deals announced yesterday. And there's still a lot of lingering reports about further uh, M&A, whether that's in uh, software or, uh, or some other areas of the economy. Well, this uh, cytokinetics, uh, Novartis, I mean, Wall Street Journal does it. Novartis, the CEO, is here. Uh, you know, Vastanera Simmons, I think he may think that he doesn't have to talk about it, but he doesn't understand that I'm not going to let him get away with that. Now, obviously, he just heard that, and he's saying, well, I'm prepared. There is no preparation other than truth. David, <laughs> you know you can't have a $9 billion company potential acquisition and not talk about it because that's not fair to the people who are buying it. That's true. Uh, and in fact, the stock was down at this time yesterday in part because they presented as well, I believe, at J.P. Morgan. And there was no mention yes. made uh, and so and or no announcement because we came in yesterday perhaps expecting that there would be a deal given previous reporting on such a possibility, Jim. And then later in the day, it, as you referenced, the, the journal reported that they were still uh, very close to that deal with uh, Novartis. So we'll see. But well, should I ask Vass or should I just take a should pass? Ask I mean, him. Of course you should ask him. Hey, Vass, I can't talk about the biggest thing you think of. Yeah, of course you got to ask him. He's probably going to no comment you. I mean, I can't imagine otherwise unless they get a press release out between now and then. But, yeah, you got to ask him, Jim. Oh. Yeah. Pin him down. Oh, and I should accept no comment. I should just say, oh, sorry about the biggest story that's out there. Right. Well, let's talk about if he some gives of the you no comment, then just talk it. more broadly about it. Well, does it fit into your pro- does it fit into your product profile? Does it make sense to you? Can you, at yeah. le- you know? You, I mean, you know your way around. I these covered homicide, like David. I covered homicide. This, you can find out the hard streets of homicide. Hard. I know. Back when you lived in your car, and, and answer to Carl's well, question. You know, like no homeowners insurance. No, and that by the way, you can't get it now either. Uh, apparently, so you were you Too were onto high. something even back then. Yeah, you can't get car insurance Trail either blazer. that easily. So you might even been out of luck there. Um, Carl, listen, we are certainly well, seeing yeah. plenty of reports of potential M and A. We did come into this year with the expectation that uh, that things would be more robust. It's not hard for them to be more robust than they were in the last year, given things were fairly uh, uh, quiet last year when it came to uh, mergers and acquisitions. And we're waiting. Well, we're Dan, waiting on Kinetics. We're waiting on this Juniper deal, potentially, right. that was reported on, that HP. Again, oh. I got nothing to add there. We're waiting on the ANSYS deal uh, with Synoptics. We'll see whether we get these announcements. But I certainly did expect coming into the year, given the conversations I was having with many bankers and lawyers whose trade is M&A, that there would be a more robust uh, 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 announcement cycle. Uh, and we do seem to be there. David. Many saying as well, Jim, 
that it wasn't antitrust any longer, you know, that was the number one on the list. It was back to the old issues, social issues, price, things of that nature, and that antitrust had fallen a little bit in terms of concern, perhaps reflecting the fact that many companies are determined to get done what they feel is a strategic imperative if, in fact, a deal is that for them. I'm so glad you mentioned it because I had Amgen on yesterday. FTC tried to fight their Horizon Therapeutics deal, and there was absolutely no overlap, and the FTC gave up the ghost. I think that maybe the FTC is coming around to what we talk about in our show, that perhaps some deals should be allowed. Uh, I think that Leanne Kahn, I think she's gotten more realistic, David, and I think that part of that is because we just pounded, pounded, pounded every day. You know, listen, uh, they are not going, can, they obviously would say, listen, we challenge such a uh, small percentage of the overall deals that are out there. Don't forget, the vast majority of deals go through without so much as, you know, uh, a one review. Uh, that said, Jim, I, I don't expect them to to back off as much as, to your point, they have been burned in court. Uh, they've yet to win an important victory. They lost in Microsoft. They've lost in Horizon Amgen, so to speak, at least. I mean, they did accept some sort of a, a, of a settlement there. Uh, and you go on from there. So, yeah, I, but what I'm hearing now is, 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 is more reflective of an M&A environment of the past, which is, all right, listen, I've got I've to be concerned about any trust the way I always do, and it may take me longer, but I don't think it's an impediment to me getting my deal done. No, can I get along with uh, if I'm taking the new CEO on or social issues wise, you know, we're going to be able to figure this out between the two companies, obviously price. But these are always the issues, the gating issues for deals. Uh, We may return to more of an environment like that, which would, Jim, mean that we're going to see more activity. Right. Well, I remember the ruling on uh, Microsoft Activision. Uh, A judge just basically just said it's uh, FTC, you know, FTC. It's time that maybe you, you, you thought about how to do your job. You obviously don't really have a clue. I'm really shocked that you brought this case. A lot of times, David, that's regarded as a suboptimal way to look at the FTC's work. <laughs> yes, with, without a doubt. That, was a, that could be considered a blow. Uh, and again, we are in an election year, and we don't know what administration is going to run antitrust, let's call it a little more than a year from now. So... That comes into consideration as well for a number of companies. Um, but Carl, back see, to you're sort talking of, about grown-ups. Yeah, back to your question overall. We're waiting to see some of these big deals that have been reported on as possible being announced, but it certainly does feel like we're going to see uh, things starting to hit the tape in a more uh, more prevalent manner. It'll be it'll be fun to watch if it happens, uh, Jim. I do want to get your take. By the way, some broad-based uh, selling here this morning. Uh, healthcare, the only S&P sector that's eking out a gain. We did have Samsung, Jim. Uh, Opernet down 35. Uh, that is six straight quarters of declines, worst in 15 years. Along with the microchip uh, guidance, what do you think's going on there? Well, I do think that there's two worlds going on. There's the let's not look at the near term because the near term, you know, microchip is just nuts and bolts uh, PCs. Uh, Microsoft, nuts and bolts semis. But you know what, Carl? If you take yesterday was a big look at the future and what NVIDIA is doing. Today is a recognition that near term things aren't so great. You know, David, it always comes back to people saying, don't be so excited about Apple. And Samsung is regarded as a proxy for cell phones. So the near term may not be as good. Yesterday, we didn't care. Today, it seems to be a focus. 
Well, you mentioned Apple. Shares are down about 1% after a gain yesterday, of course, and an overall gain for the Magnificent Seven, so to speak. Although Apple is still down 4.6% for the year, Jim. You know, where do you come out in terms of all this different noise that we get on both sides, sort of um, about iPhone demand, particularly in China, and increased competition from the likes of Huawei, and on and on from there? Look, I think that the iPhone demand in China, we hear it could be down as much as 30%. Uh, we do have the very exciting launch of the Vision Pro, uh, February 2nd. But, David, if you're buying Apple, you're not buying Apple for the quarter. It just won't make any sense to buy it for the quarter. You're buying it because you think that the franchise is a great one and it can uh, reinvent itself and that the actually that, that Tim Cook's doing a great job. But you know what? Uh, when it comes to the Magnificent 7, it's the 7th of 7. And I think NVIDIA is the one that's jumped ahead because the near term is so great. Jim, do you, do you think that Apple will ever try to, you know, I asked the question earlier about NVIDIA in terms of other businesses. What about Apple and large language models and the expectations there in terms of them getting involved in their own generative AI effort, uh, obviously integrating it with the likes of Siri? Well, they do have a relationship. It's not talked about much with NVIDIA. They've not been the big buyer of NVIDIA cards. I do think that they are trying to figure out how to make it so uh, everything, it, it can talk. You, you, when you use your, your, your cell phone, the thing that has not been as great as they'd like is Siri. Uh, I think they can make that much more uh, involved with artificial intelligence. They, look, they are in our lives. They are the... Uh, Look, if anyone's going to do anything with the individual, it is still going to be Apple. Most of NVIDIA's enterprise, although they did announce a very good relationship with, uh, with PC companies, with Microsoft. But right now, David, if you want the individual, it's still going to be Amazon. You know, it's still going to be Apple. Uh, Amazon is the, of, of the seven. Amazon is the one that has the best relationship with NVIDIA and doing the most. I don't know. I, I do think that you, uh, people think that Apple's behind. They just do. Yeah, uh, because I, I do know that there is an expectation, again, that, that they are going to launch their own proprietary large language model at some point, Jim, that will power Siri, that conceivably will be more of a competitor yet again with, uh, with Alphabet, for example, when it comes to search. You'll just be able to ask Siri, um, especially wow. in light of back to, the, back to antitrust, if, you know, Alphabet loses that big case and they can no longer pay them that $18, $19 billion a year that they do to be the preferred search on the phone. Well, you know, David, I'm glad you better. I think people have to understand there are two antitrust departments. There's the FTC, which has been regarded as amateur hour, even though that their staff is very professional. And then there's Cantor, who runs antitrust. Total heavyweight, used to be at Paul Weiss, does not bring absurd cases. If anyone's going to win a case, it's, go it's going to be the Justice Department. I keep thinking that one of these cases is going to go to the Justice Department's way. You can't lose everything. <laughs> you think you can? You're not saying anything. No, well, I thought I thought You're not I thought maybe Carl back. wanted to get in, so I was giving him a minute. Oh, that's uh, that's <laughs> okay. all right, guys. I'm happy to listen as well. Jim, I wanted to get you on Wells Fargo. A uh, second day in a row now of a downgrade. Yesterday it was Baird. Uh, today it's Deutsche. Uh, they do talk about credit remaining volatile, a uh, higher level of CRE loans on the books than at J.P. Morgan and uh, and Bank of America. Uh, so they, we expect a weak net interest income guide given lower rates and sluggish loan growth. What do you think is coming Friday? Well, look, I, I do think that Wells Fargo running by Charlie Scharf, 
uh, is fantastic. The second, yesterday's downgrade did nothing. Today's downgrade, remember, Wells Fargo has been the best of the big banks. Uh, Charlie has said over and over again, commercial real estate, not really an issue. Uh, I think that they're still waiting for consent decrees. This is the one, by the way. This stock was at 62 on February 5th of 2018. It is not expensive. You know, David, what happened with Wells Fargo is, is that the regulators never forgave them, even though Charlie has gotten rid of everybody. At what point do the regulators say it's the new Wells Fargo run by Charlie and not the old Wells Fargo run by John Stump? When is that going to happen? I, yeah, Jim, I assume it's a rhetorical question. I don't know. I thought it was supposed to happen last year. You don't feel like it did? It hasn't happened yet? It, they're still... I think it has. Yeah. I, I think these downgraders are underestimating what Charlie Sharp has done. And by the way, David, Charlie Sharp, he, he is a, a kind of a rigorous guy. And a lot of people regard him as, 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 frankly, not that nice. And I mean that in the terms of what niceness is. Real. <laughs> um, yeah, I, you know, listen. It I, took me seven years, David, seven uh, years to make it so I thought he even kind of liked me. Oh, no, he doesn't like you. I did everything yeah, I he could. Doesn't like, he doesn't I even like, like his dogs. Nah, he doesn't like you. Uh, yeah, he's told me. No, he yeah, doesn't. I like that guy. He's got one dog named yeah. Wells and the other one named Fargo. Like NVIDIA? No. <laughs> Um, we did get a little bit of a read on the financials from Jeffries, which we always do, of course. Stock's up ever so slightly. Um, and Rich Handler, longtime CEO there, you know, made no, made no a secret of the fact that it was a, a tough year in 23. Transition year in the economy, in capital markets, in our industry, challenges uh, as well, he said. And we performed reasonably well. Um, and he eked out a modest return on equity. Uh, 3.7% is what that was. Uh, and you can see the stock, though, has hung in there uh, and actually had a pretty, pretty, has had a pretty good performance over the last year as well. Always take a look at Jeffries because it does give us a bit of a snapshot. But remember, again, we are looking back here with these quarters. The question is much more, Jim, isn't it going to be about what we hear on the conference calls in terms of not just the current moment, but the expectations as well? Well, David, first of all, Rich Handler, you're absolutely right. I know you're close to me. He, He's a miracle worker. Jeffrey's stock is up. But, David, M&A, if M&A is back, how can you decide that they're, that all we're going to do is look at net interest margin? The money that is made in M&A, David, the, the, the fees are huge. Yes, the fees can tend to be very large, uh, particularly when things really get going. You're right. Uh, and so it can become a very profitable business for these companies very quickly. Uh, and, yeah, they're a beneficiary, certainly in the financing side as well as the advisory side at a place like Jeffries. If you obviously are calling on the high yield markets and or the financing markets overall to help with these deals. So you're right. Uh, a robust M&A market helps and lifts the likes, not just to them, but obviously, as you'd expect, the Goldman Sachs's, the Morgan Stanley's, the J.P. Morgan's and on from there. Not to mention, Carl, all the smaller boutiques sometimes we forget that are public now as well. The Evercores, the PJT's, the Molises and the like. David, while I got you, um, I wonder if you found the uh, Elliott Match story interesting in the journal. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a big position. I guess that's where I'd leave it. In terms of percentage-wise, a large position. Don't have a lot of insight, unfortunately, to share there uh, on, the, on the match thing. I know sometimes we do when it comes to Elliott. Um, on this one, Carl, I'm afraid I come up a little bit empty right now. Yeah. Uh, Jim, we got some Fed commentary yesterday from uh, from Bostick and more interestingly, Bowman, who seemed to roll back some of her hawkish stance. Ten years trying to trying to suppress back below four here. 
Yeah, I, look, I think that there are various people from the Fed who are giving us it's too hot, it's too weak. I think the CPI, Carl, maybe that is going to make it so. Look, I don't want to be a doomsayer here, but if the CPI is too hot, Carl, then you know a lot of the excitement is going to come out of this market. Yeah, uh, City with a nice chart today looking at Baltic Dry, the shipping uh, ocean freight cost index, Jim, which has uh, risen uh, still 50 percent below the peak. But it's clear that the Red Sea has had some impact. I guess the silver lining there is that the dry van spot rate, which is more of a ground transportation index, uh, has uh, has remained pretty stable in the face of all of that. Dave, you know, uh, uh, David, uh, yes. Morgan Stanley Uh, You know, we're, boy, this is going to be a tough story. I'm trying to figure out how to do this and be a diplomat, kind of like Gandhi. But Mike Wilson's turning positive. That's what it seems like. Now, David, if he turns positive, what does that say? Not sure. Is he really turning positive? I haven't seen the language, Jim. Well, Uh, I mean, I I don't think he is as negative. He's talking about... Equity prices possibly going higher, yeah. growth up, could reaccelerate. I just think if you've been wrong, David, and you get a little more positive, well, what can I say? I, sometimes you could argue that that's, uh, let's just say, uh, oh, man, how about ill-advised? Could be. It could be. That said, he had a very good call not that long ago. As we said many times, Jim. When? You mean like before the big rally? Yes, I mean before the big rally. Yes. We've said okay. many times it's really All hard right. to follow a really good call with another one. You, you know, and that is the well, history of many of these strategists. A, what, they get one thing right. You can, yeah. by the way, that can carry you. That can be a career right there. You get one thing right, you're good. Well, Mike has it. Yeah, I mean, Mike Wilson has it. I marketing's mean, he everything. The, he as said we it was going to be the top. But um, I'm just saying, look, uh, you might be right it, again. You, know, you never it, know. It, you might be right again. It worries you. Might be right. It worries I mean, you. Yeah, no doubt you don't about like it. it. It worries you. Well, David. There are NFL coaches, we haven't talked about the NFL, who were really good, and then they're fired immediately. And by the way, did you see that, uh, that the, the, founder of, uh, uh, the founder of FedEx's son was fired? At I did, at the Falcons, yeah, Westman. I did. I saw. Yeah. I saw that he Unceremoniously. was. Unceremoniously. It's a tough job, man. That is a tough job. Oh. Yeah. It, That's why they call it uh, the Black Eagles. Monday. People worried. Yeah. I'm wow. Rivera, yeah. I can attest to that. Uh, Jim, uh, we'll talk more about it after the break. Uh, quick reminder, by the way, you can always get in on the CNBC Investing Club with Jim. Just sign up and find out more at cnbc.com slash join the club or use the QR code on your screen and it takes you right there. As we go to break, we mentioned sort of a light day for data, uh, XNFIB, which we got earlier this morning. But we'll keep our eye on bonds uh, and Jim's point about uh, some jitters leading into CPI on Thursday. Ten years still hovering just a shade above four with most of the curve uh, in the uh, green this morning. I'll be right back. S&P Laggards um, led by HPE this morning. Of course, stories in the journal yesterday and Reuters again this morning uh, that the company's in advance talks to acquire Juniper for about $13 billion. The Goldman desk points out it's about a 35% premium uh, implied uh, and about 15% of HPE's current market cap. We'll get stop trading with Jim in a minute. Dow down uh, 280 to start this Tuesday. Don't go anywhere. Let's get to Jim and stop trading. 
called the most quiet of the Magnificent Seven, has been Alphabet. Today, Cowan comes out and says business could be better than expected. Talking about YouTube taking slight share, and it is up. It's bucking the trend. And I think people have to recognize, I, I know David's a chartist. I am less a chartist. But that is one of the greatest charts I've seen in a long time. Alphabet may be ready for its next move. We didn't really get to this uh, story on the tape that Microsoft might be facing a full-blown uh, EU merger probe after some of their ties to OpenAI came out and that whole mess. Yeah, yeah just write a check to Europe. That's what you do. I mean, if you're Microsoft, how much do you guys want? I, a lot of people feel that it's a shakedown. Other people feel it's rigorous. I'm more in the, the uh, former camp. If they want to be able to say, listen, it's a, a, it's a monopoly, what are you going to do? I, I mean, just send them a check. Move uh, on. Me, meanwhile, Jim, uh, what's coming up tonight? Well, I'm doing a healthcare index. Uh, I've got uh, I've got Pfizer. I've got Lilly. Um, I, you know, look, I've got CVS. I, I've got Abbott. I have Regeneron, and I think that I'm going to try to put some mergers together right here, right now. I mean, why shouldn't I? Why should the bankers make all the money? Why can't CNBC make some of the money? <laughs> it's, a, it's a new revenue, revenue silo we for us. It. We need it. Well, I mean, people say cable doesn't make enough money. Let's move, let's move into an adjacency, David. Linear cable's under pressure. We got to come up with new revenue sources. That could be one. That could be one. There's you and some I. fees I and management fees. You can talk fees. about it. We'll yeah. do them. The M&A Investment Club. It's big. Uh, Jim, we'll see in a bit because you're coming back in the next hour. Uh, Jim's going to return with Uh, his live interview with Lilly's David Ricks from the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference. Lilly, by the way, just a shade below all-time highs this morning at 629 and change. Dow's down 264. We're back in a moment. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 